Corinthians chapter 4, as we continue in our study through 1 Corinthians, and so that you don't all have to ask me how my neck's doing, um, it's getting better a day at a time. Thanks for, thanks for your prayers. I did a wedding yesterday. I really look funny in a suit. So, so Shannon, my goal is to be out of this thing by your wedding. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it's, as we've been going through, um, Paul, in writing this letter to the church there in Corinth, is sharing with them ways in which they've got it wrong, calling their attention to the fact that somehow since he had founded that church at Corinth, that they got things mixed up, priorities twisted around, somehow pride and arrogance were becoming so much the rule of the day that it was becoming more and more about flash and being impressive and pride was cropping into the ministry and people were being divided amongst themselves where they should be working together and Paul is just going through the basics with them and throughout the rest of the book he would go through so many areas of church life with them to call them back to the simplicity of the gospel, to call them to really what a walk with God is all about. And really the first four chapters are kind of introductory, and this morning the scriptures that we look at, the verses that we look at, kind of wrap up the introduction to the book before he then begins to deal with specific areas that he wants to address, applying the truths of the first four chapters in a way that have practical benefit to the church there in Corinth. As we get into chapter 5 next week, we will see him dealing with this problem of immorality that was going on in the church and goes off into all sorts of other things. But where we left off last week was as Paul was kind of laying it out for them and saying, you guys think you've got it all together. You're so puffed up and thinking that you're on top of the world. And he said, in the meantime, I don't know if you've noticed, but my life hasn't been that easy. I've been beaten up and taken advantage of. He said, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm just like the, the, the scum of the earth. The way that we as apostles have been treated, you guys are hanging in there and doing really well, and I'm not doing so well. And yet, he says, I'm responding to whatever happens to me in a way that, well, as, as we saw there in um, verse 12, he says, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat even though we've been made as filth of the world and off-scouring of all things until now. He said, you guys have been really successful, but that has brought some problems in that I'm deeply concerned about. He was worried for them. And he said, it's important for you to learn basically in a nutshell. He said, imitate me. Don't head in the direction that you're going where your pride makes you think that somehow you're better than others, where you feel that your success is God's stamp of approval on your life, that, well, if God really loves you, he's going to make your life really easy. 
He wanted them to understand life isn't always easy. It doesn't always go according to plans. And sometimes it hurts really bad, and that doesn't mean something wrong is happening. He said the important thing is you respond to what happens to you in a way that that God's Word teaches you. And now as we come to verse 17, after he said, be imitators of me. In verse 17, he says, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you. Now, he hadn't actually, Timothy hadn't actually come to them yet, but Paul had told them, hey, when you get a chance, get over to Corinth. Who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church? Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Paul, after saying, imitate me, he says, I want you to get what I'm saying, and as a result, I've asked Timothy to come to you and to help kind of straighten some things out for you, to give you a a more clear understanding of what it is I'm talking about. Timothy, he describes him there in that verse as my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Timothy was a guy that Paul had mentored. We know the books of 1 and 2 Timothy were personal letters that Paul wrote to Timothy to lead him along. He had also taken Timothy along with him on missionary journeys. Timothy had been as close to Paul, certainly, as anyone had. He had lived with him day and night, traveled with him, been in prison with him. Timothy, if anyone understood who Paul was, Timothy did. And this is something as a sidelight. It's so important for all of us to make sure that we don't just live our lives to do what we can do, But it's important for us to realize that ultimately we are only as good as the reproduction of ourselves that we can do into other people's lives. See, Paul couldn't be everywhere. At this point, he's stuck in jail. And yet he could say, I've got some other guys who are doing the work. I've poured my life into them. I've reproduced myself within them, and Timothy's one of those guys. It started out because he's my beloved son. He knows I love him. And the result of him responding to that love is he's a faithful servant. Earlier in the chapter, Paul had said, it's required of a steward that he be found faithful. And so Paul said, Timothy understands some of this stuff, and he's going to come and to impart a lot of this with you. It brings up the question for us, who is it in our lives that can act as an extension of who we are? Because ultimately, that's the measure of your life. It's the reason why people have children, is they want something to go on beyond them. They, they want their offspring to be able to not just be there in life. So often, it's funny because we have kids because we want to pour our life into another person and and be important and make a difference for them. And yet then, well, we're so busy doing other stuff that the kids end up just being the opposite of us. They resent 
how we have raised them. And as a result, we feel like, man, I don't know if this helped. And, and it, it almost becomes a lot of times like when you have a, a kid, then they cancel out your vote because they go against everything what it is you want. It's like, you know, sometimes if you're busy and there's an election, it helps if you just find someone who disagrees with you completely and, you know, you go, okay, I want this candidate, you want this one, I'm going to vote yes here, you're going to vote no here. How about if we just both save time and don't vote? Cancel each other out, not, no one's hurt. A lot of times that's the way it is when we interact with people, whether our kids or others. But the idea is if you really love someone and, and pour your life into them, now they can do what you maybe can't do. They can go places where you can't go. They will live hopefully beyond you, and therefore that which you have learned becomes an extension in the lives of someone else. You know, as you get older, you do learn certain things, hopefully. And I know that at my age today, I, although when I was young, I thought I knew more, but the truth is life, though it beats us up sometimes, it does teach us some valuable lessons. The problem is, as you learn those lessons, it wears you out learning the lessons, and you just don't have the energy to really do anything about it. And that's why it's important to reach out to others and to minister to them, to share what you've learned, to be there for them with your friends, with your family, with those that God will allow you to minister to, because then they become an extension of what God is doing in your life. It doesn't just end when you end. Well, Paul understood this, and Timothy was one of those of, of many people who he poured his life into. And he said, you know, I can't be everywhere at once, but there are others whose lives I've been able to minister to, and, and they can do that. It's a, it's a beautiful picture here of the relationship that Paul had. Now, you may say, oh, I don't really have anyone who's influenced by me. Well, you know, my kids are grown and they won't listen to me anymore. No one else seems to care what I've learned. The truth is there are opportunities all around us to make a difference for others. Sometimes you have to look to someone who's really in need. There are also those who have gone out from us. For instance, we have guys who have left our church to go out and plant churches other places. We have lots of people from our church who right now are on the mission field in different places all over the country. And, you know, if you go to those places, you would just, your heart would melt. And every time I go somewhere else, and I don't get to do it nearly as much as I would like to, but every time I've gone off to the mission field somewhere on a short-term missions trip, I go, I love this place. I, I, I love these people. I wish I could be here all the time. But the truth is I can't be. God hasn't called me to do that. But the cool thing is I know people who have been called to do that. And as I can spend a little bit of time in prayer for them, as I can write them an encouraging email or you know, if they're struggling with something to give them some encouragement, that's my ability to be places where I can't be. I'm here right now, but as I give of myself to others, as I financially contribute to someone else's cause, it's a chance for me to do what I maybe can't personally do, but that's okay. It's not about me. 
It's about having the opportunity to take what God has done for me and being able to spread it out. And that's something that we all need to consider. But here in this passage, as Paul is using Timothy in this way, the real point that he's trying to get at here is the difference between talk and action. And and basically what I entitled the message this morning is talk is cheap because it is. Paul was talking about people who were talking a good game. They were critical of him, taking cheap shots at him. They, in many cases, they were more eloquent, it seemed like, than he was. And that's why he said, hey, when I came to you, it was just simple. I just laid it out there as straight as I could. Now, I know there are some people today who are more impressive than I am, who are persuading you with the the flourish of their speech. And Paul said, that's not how I do it. That's not the way I've chosen to represent Jesus Christ. But they had that going on. And there are a lot of people who talk a good game. But notice what Paul says when in talking about sending Timothy to them. He said, he's my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, there in verse 17, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Interesting. He didn't say, Timothy's going to come and say the same things to you that I said. But he said, when Timothy comes, he's going to remind you of my ways in Christ and the fact that they are consistent with what I teach everywhere. Paul taught wherever he went, but he said, I got to tell you something. Timothy can tell you what I'm really like. Like right now, and there are people who are going, oh, Paul's afraid to come back to Corinth and all this stuff. And he's like, no, that's not true. But listen, Timothy knows me better than anyone. He's lived with me. He's traveled with me. He ministered with me. And he said, Timothy can tell you that the way I live is what I teach. That there isn't anything about me that's being phony with you. Now, this is so important because the, the number one criticism of the church, the, the reason why people who reject Jesus Christ reject Jesus Christ, at least the reason they give, is they say, oh, there's so many hypocrites in the church. Christians are just a bunch of phonies. Now, it's easy to respond to that by saying, oh, so you reject the church because there's so many phonies in the church as opposed to the bar where you hang out, where people are so sincere. Is that what? And, you know, that's easy to say that, but, but the bar isn't claiming to be anything but a place that will get you wasted to forget your problems. The church is claiming to be a place where people are different. The church is claiming to be the group of people who say, we have the words of eternal life. We represent Jesus Christ. We're Christians. We're little Christ. And so we're claiming to be a whole lot more than what anything else out there in the world is. And you know, the truth is, and we've got to face this, if we can't say what we teach is the way we live, then we are guilty of causing people to become deeply confused. Sad to say, so often Christianity becomes a religion whereby you act a certain way, 
whereby you try to impress people that you're better than they are. And that's exactly the opposite of what it's supposed to be. And Paul wasn't saying, when Timothy gets here, he'll tell you I'm perfect. Not at all. Because Paul never taught he was perfect. Quite the contrary. How many people sincerely would say what Paul said? I'm the chief of sinners. (laughs) That's what Paul said about himself. See, his message wasn't, look how good I am. His message was, look what Jesus Christ did for you and for me on the cross. And, And we can stand in his grace and in his grace alone. He forgives our sins. It's all about being honest. It's not about impressing people with how good you are. So Paul would say, yeah, Timothy can tell you. He's seen me blow my stack. But, you know, he can also tell you he's seen me ask forgiveness. He's seen me repent before God. He has seen my heart just in anguish over my own struggles and my own sins. And he goes, he can tell you that, and that's the truth. When the church becomes a place where you pretend to be a certain way, then the church is no longer what it's supposed to be. And when that happens, we do more damage than good. We cause people to say, oh no, I heard what you said and you sounded like, man, you're like perfect and we put you on a pedestal and we saw you as being bigger than life and then we got a little closer and saw what you were like and we're like, man, you're more messed up than I am. Well, I might be more messed up than you are, but I hope I tell you that. I hope I don't pretend like, no, I've got it all together. You guys don't. That's not what Paul's perspective was. He was saying, you know what? I, I am being honest with you. What I teach is how I live. And as we look on, he says, he says um, now there are some who are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. He goes, some of you guys are claiming that I'm afraid to come there. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I love Paul's humility in saying, I'm coming. No matter what, they say I'm not coming. Hey, I'm coming. But then he goes, if the Lord wills. He was in submission to God. James over in James chapter 4 says this. Don't go and say, tomorrow I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'll do this. And then I'll come back after. He goes, you don't even know if you're going to live through tomorrow. What you should say is, here's what I'm intending. But if the Lord wills, that's what I'm going to do. And so Paul wasn't being bold going, I'll prove it. You can count on it. You can take my word to the bank. He goes, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm planning. But I'm in submission to God's will. I'm living to please him. And I'm acknowledging whatever happens, it comes down to what he wants. Now, it's so important for us to get this because we give our word and other people give their words and we, we are so prone to, be, to saying, here's what I'm going to do. And then if it doesn't work out because of unforeseen circumstances, we feel like we've let somebody down, we've been devastated, I was counting on this. And Paul would say, no, <laughs> I'm planning on it, but it's if God wills. It's up to him. If it doesn't work out, then it wasn't his will. Now, Paul wouldn't do something 
to, to flake on it and then go, well, it's just God's will. But he would do what he could do to come. Why did he want to come? Because there were these people who were puffed up. And Paul, again, in expressing this, he says, there's word and there's power. Now, our perspective, a lot of times of Paul, as these people are saying bad things about him, we would think that Paul would say, listen, when I come to Corinth, believe me, man, I'm going to put the hammer down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail these guys. Like, I'm going to get in their face, and, I'm gonna, and we'll see what they have to say when they hear me chewing them out. Paul was a little tiny guy. They said very short and not in great physical condition because he was just beaten all the time and stoned and everything. So he's this little kind of hunched over guy, they say, and he wasn't saying, well, hey, when I come there, I'm going to put the smack down. You know, I'm gonna, we're going to put a cage up outside the church at Corinth and bring on all comers. But he also wasn't saying, I will argue with them so profoundly that they won't have anything to say. Because he's saying, the kingdom of God, it's not about talk. It's about power. So what's the power that he's talking about? It's like, hey, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to hit you. No, that's not the idea, obviously. And Paul had already been saying, here's how I roll. Here's how I live. He said, hey, when I'm reviled, I bless. When I'm persecuted, I put up with it. When I'm defamed, I encourage, I entreat. So what's he talking about? And what is this kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is basically another way of saying, here's how God does things. And what Paul says is, you're puffed up with your words. But he said, when it comes down to it, and what I want to share with you is, God doesn't do things with fancy words. He doesn't do things with, I'll tell you or I'll crush you. He said, power is opposed to words. In other words, again, going back to what he said about Timothy, sharing his, the way that he lives contrasted with the way that he teaches, Paul said, you know what? All that I have really is my life. And if you look at my life, you'll see how I live. You'll see how I respond when people give me every excuse to lash out. And even to those who are puffed up, I don't have a lot of words for you, but there's a power. And that power that he's talking about, that's how God does things, it's the power of obedience. It's the power of doing what God tells you to do. In a, in a quiet and simple way, in the midst of wrestling with it and your difficulties and your pain and, and the, the sense of, I'm, I, I don't have a lot to offer, but here's what I do, is I, I really believe this stuff. And I really want to live the way God tells me to live. And for Paul, that was power. And you know what? For you and for me, that's power too. It's all the power we have. It's not a power that comes from we know the right things to say. Because, I mean, sometimes we may know the right things to say, but very often we don't. I know I'm thinking this week I'm going to be doing Pastor's Perspective on it Monday and Thursday, I think it is. And every time you do it, it's like people can ask anything. 
And Thursday, I'll be there, the only one on there answering questions. And, and I, you know, I know answers to the basic questions that people usually ask. But the truth is, every time I sit down to do that program, I think, right now, I can think of a thousand questions that I don't have a good answer for. I could, be, I could spend the whole hour going, I don't know, next caller. <laughs> But I'm so glad that it doesn't depend on me having the answers. What it depends on, and as Paul shared earlier in this chapter, it's required that you be faithful, that you show up, and that ultimately that you decide the Christian life is something that I want to live. What God tells me to do something, I want to do it. Now, again, not being puffed up and saying, yep, I do everything God tells me to do. Paul would have never said that. Jesus could say that, and he's the only one who could say, everything that the Father has given me to do, I've done it. But for Paul, the man who said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, that's someone who understands. It's all about what Jesus did on the cross. You sin, he forgives. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And he goes, I live by that. When I sin, I confess. When someone attacks me, I don't battle back. I, I respond, as he shared here earlier in the chapter, in a way that will sometimes blow people's minds. But I want them to see that there's a difference that there's an alternative to the way that the world lives and the way that they've been living, I want them to see it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be fighting fire with fire. It doesn't have to be that you fight words with words, that if someone has strength, I've got to come up with better strength. The power of the Christian life is the power of obeying God in a way that we humble ourselves and we say, I'm not going to respond in a predictable way, but I'm going to respond in a supernatural way. And often that means being thought of as a fool. Often that means that the other guys think they win. They think they were able to silence you because you chose not to get in a fight with them. You chose not to defeat them in the way that they've tried to do it to you. That's power. And Paul said, ultimately, that's what I have to offer. Again, when Paul's talking about power, put it in the context. Listen to his life. We're fools for Christ's sake. We've been condemned to death, made a spectacle to the world. You're wise, but we're weak. You're distinguished. We're dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we're poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. We're reviled, but we bless. We're persecuted, but we endure. We're defamed, but we entreat. We've been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. And Paul goes, to all those people who are trash-talking me, this is what I have to offer. Here's my evidence. I'm falling apart. I'm beaten up. I'm in constant pain. But there's power there. That is something. And how can you say that? Because he would say, you guys who are up on your pedestal, your power is in your being better than other people. But he said, there's a power in obeying God 
that will give you strength in the middle of weakness. And let's face it, that's when you need it. That's when you need strength the most. That's when strength is shown to be what it is. As later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul, talking about his thorn in the flesh, said, I found out that God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's power, and that's the power that Paul had to offer. But it was a power that said, I quit pretending. Everyone in this world who's living a phony life, everyone in this world who's trying to make themselves look good and puff themselves up, that's a sign of weakness ultimately. If you can't be who you really are and be accepted, then you have to try to be something else. And those people who live for power, we talked about last week how, you know, the, the quote that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely and how true that is. And as Lord Acton said, most great men are also bad men. That's true. And, but we shouldn't look at that and go, they need to be crushed. We should look at that and say, how sad. When people are having to live their lives pretending to be something they aren't, because who they are isn't something they can even be comfortable with in their own skin. They, they can't just stand there naked and open before God and others. They feel like they have to play some kind of a game in order to get by. That kind of power exerted is always a sign of weakness. And Paul said, the kingdom of God isn't that way. Talk is cheap, but the kingdom of God isn't about what you say. I always feel bad when there are people who, even in doing great things for God, feel like then they have to hire a publicist to let you know how much they've given or how much they've done. It's like, that's embarrassing. You know, it should be embarrassing, and it's embarrassing that people don't have the sense to be embarrassed about hiring someone to publicize how good they are. Paul saw that kind of stuff, and he just goes, that's not power. That's not what it's all about. That's not what I'm saying. He goes, you can laugh at me. You can put me down. You can say that I deserve to be beaten the way I am. Doesn't matter. Because in the kingdom of God, there's a power that's greater than cheap talk. And it's the power of obedience. And Paul could say, go ahead and look at my life. You'll find plenty of things to take shots at. But if you examine my life, you won't find out that I'm fake. You won't find out that I'm talking a good game and not living it. You'll see that, like you, I struggle. But Timothy, who's lived with me day and night, can tell you, I live what I preach. And that should be the desire of our hearts, that, that there aren't any surprises, that no one would get to know us and, and go, what? Now, you know, if people have illusions about us, that can sometimes happen. And I'm sure there are plenty of people who, when they get to know me, they're disappointed. And that's why... You know, I just try to let people know who I am right off the bat, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you this, and it's true. You look at who I am, and there's plenty to be disappointed about. You look at who I am, and you watch me very closely, and you'll see me fail. But 
you should have known me 20 years ago if you think I'm bad now. <laughs> the truth is, honestly, I can say I've seen God working in my life and I can see growth. And I, and I hope that you can say the same thing about yourself. Don't judge yourself based on where you are compared to God's perfection. But there is a time when you better say, is this working for you at all? Or have you been in a 15-year in a backslidden state? Are you spiraling downhill? People ought to be able to look at your life. You ought to be able to look yourself in the mirror and go, I think I'm getting somewhere. Now, sometimes even that is a threat to us. I've probably told you before, there have been times when somebody that knew me from a long time ago, I, I've had people come up and go, you know, for, I, I met you first when you came on staff at Calvary back in the 70s, and, and you know, I'll be honest with you, for like 20 years, I thought you were the most arrogant jerk I had ever met. I saw nothing but pride in you and a mean spirit, and you know, but over the last few years, I've noticed that God's really changing and softening you, and I've seen growth. And when somebody says that to me, I feel like going, hey, I wasn't as bad as you think, man. I, I probably was. But why is it that we are even threatened if somebody says, I see you growing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what ought to be happening. A much worse thing is if we look at ourselves and go, you know what? Back in the day, I was, I was closer to God than I am right now. You know, it does seem like I'm not getting anywhere. See, the Christian life is a life that takes you somewhere. It's a life of growth. Now, yeah, the growth can be up and down, up and down, but the overall trend should be I'm getting closer to God. I'm getting more honest with myself and with others. I, it, it, does Christianity work or not? That's the question that people are asking themselves when they see you and they see me. And the power is when it works. When does it work? When you're honest. When you'll confess your sins. And when you'll obey what God says. As somebody, there was a writer one time I read who said, of course, you only believe the parts of the Bible that you do. And that's, it sounds so simplistic, but it's powerfully true. How much of the Bible do I believe? Cover to cover, all of it? Easy to say. Am I doing it? Am I obeying it? Because it's only the parts that I obey that I'm really believing, ultimately. And Paul was one who didn't profess perfection. And he said, look, I'm not as flashy as some of these guys. But he said, I am who I am. And if you follow me around, you'll see somebody who takes God's word seriously, who, who really is doing the best I can do to, to see myself conform to the image of Jesus Christ. I'm obeying what he's telling me to do. I'm not in rebellion against it. And that should be the testimony of our lives, that we're trying to do what he tells us to do, that we're obeying. If we aren't, then it doesn't matter what else we are doing. You know, you can go, boy, all the big sins that I used to commit before I was a Christian, I'm not doing those anymore. It's great. Haven't had a drink in 30 years. And then you go, well, what's God been talking to you about lately? And deep down in your heart, you may go, God's been calling me to get involved in some kind of ministry, but I haven't done it. 
God's been telling me I need to be more generous and, and to, with, with my money in order to, to participate in what God's doing. I really haven't done it. God's been telling me I need to be nicer to my family, and I'm not. And you have to go, why aren't you doing it? Don't you believe that when he tells you to do something, you're supposed to do it? And what we do so often is we substitute hypocrisy for obedience. And I go, I don't want to do what he tells me to do, but I better quit telling people that I'm not doing it. I better start perfecting my act. And that's where spiritual death comes about. And it will always result in a, in a superiority and arrogance and a pride, whereby now I stop looking at my own life and I just start looking at yours and I feel pretty good about mine when I look at yours. You're spiraling down. You're crashing and burning. The power of the kingdom of God is in obedience. It's in doing what he tells you to do. Can you do that perfectly? No. John said, if you start thinking you're doing it perfectly, you're a liar, you're a phony, you're deteriorating further. It's just confession. It's admitting that God's right. And it's committing our lives to saying, I want to do what God tells me to do. For many of us, we don't even want to do what he tells us to do. Paul said, the power, and you'll see it. All these guys talk as cheap and they can say what they want to say. But the truth is, Paul would say, I, I'm telling you who I am. I'm the chief of sinners, but I'm obeying. I'm doing what God is calling me to do. And when people are lashing out at me, I'm not lashing back. When people want to pick fights with me, I'm not fighting back. People who talk bad about me, I'm, I'm praying for them. And I'm wanting the best for them. Now, the last verse there, as he winds it up, he says, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? I think this verse has been misunderstood even by a lot of commentators. There have been people throughout church history who have taken this passage and said, it's an example of Paul threatening apostolic authority. Paul saying, look, if you don't shape up, I'm coming with a rod. But it's up to you. If you guys repent and get your act together, I'm going to come and be really loving. But if you continue in the way that you're going, I'm going to come and I'm going to excommunicate everybody that gets in my way. And heads are going to roll. I'm going to open up a can. And, and so, you know, and it's like, I shouldn't say that. But, um, but that completely contradicts everything that he's been saying. He just told us, look, when I'm reviled, I bless. When I'm persecuted, I endure. When I'm defamed, I entreat. And as he goes through the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, his focus becomes, and really it's fully developed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he's gone, it's about love. If you don't have that, nothing else matters. So why would he be saying, I'm coming with a rod? I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think what he's saying is, you're living your life in such a way that you almost want somebody to beat you up. You're living your life in such a way that somehow you actually feel good when someone beats you up. And, and so often, this is the kind of symptom that happens in a life that's lived in phoniness. Because somehow, I feel really good 
when somebody really preaches in a way that makes me feel really guilty and really bad. And that's what was happening with them. These flowery, powerful, impressive preachers that then when you'd go, you'd feel like, wow, they are really great and I am really dirt. That's what I call preaching. I, I feel kind of bad when sometimes, and there are certain people who are just this way, where they'll, they'll always come up and go, boy, what a great message. You just thrashed me. You just ripped me open. You gutted me. You and they think I'm going to go, oh, great. Cool. Thanks. Not what I'm trying to do. Not what God wants to do. But people who don't understand the power of the gospel will so often get so focused on the fact that I need to act one way, but I'm not living that, and I need someone to spank me. I need someone to beat me up. And Paul said, that's the way you're living. Don't... Do you want somebody who, as he said, I'm your father. I, I, I come to you. I want to come to you in love and grace. He's not saying he'll come in any other way. That would completely contradict everything that he's been saying. But he's saying, you guys are choosing, some of you, to live in such a way that you act like you want somebody to beat you up. And that's not what you need. It's not what anyone needs. It's the, it's the power of God of a transforming life when we obey Him and respond to the good news of the gospel. And His love changes us. And He says, that's what you need and that's what you're going to get. Oh, He's not threatening to come and really nail Him. He, instead, He's saying... Some of you want the wrong things, and that's why you're submitting to a, a brand of Christianity that is leading you down the wrong path. It's, it's destroying you. If you realize that what you really need is to be loved and accepted by God, is to, to understand that God's grace means that you're free then you won't put yourself under a legalistic system. You won't be so hard on everyone else and, and enjoy it when they're hard on you. Instead, you see the real truth. You know what? We are all in this together. And the Bible is true. And Christianity really works. But only when you're real. Only when you're honest. Only when you allow God to forgive you and to love you constantly. I don't know what you're going to face this week. Some of you are probably in the middle of huge problems. Some of you have huge problems coming this week, and you don't even have a clue. You think it's going to be a great week. And something really hard is going to happen. Paul knew what that was like. He lived it. But here's the thing. God's power is at your disposal if you'll obey him. And it all comes down to in simple ways. If you're a mom and your kids are just being complete brats, and they're just like begging for the rod, and, and, and they're just, you know, being so completely obnoxious. You know, kids learn what really bugs you, and sometimes they just do it on purpose. And you're the mom who's at home, and you know your husband doesn't understand, and nobody else does, and you're stuck with these kids, and it's like summer is the worst time of year for you. Because, and if 
you respond to those brats with grace and love, <laughs> that's powerful. That's really powerful. If your spouse is difficult, if they're going, for whatever reason, they're just making your life miserable, and you have every reason to lash back at them. They say something mean to you, and you have the perfect response that's just going to shut them up. And here's your opportunity. And you just think of what God says, and you say, I'm going to be loving in return. I'm going to be forgiving. I don't know why they're feeling the need to do what they're doing, but today, right now, I'm just going to obey God this time. I'll give them one. Power. That is so amazingly powerful. And when you this week find yourself, you get to Thursday or Friday and you're like, I don't know if I can go on. I don't feel like getting up. I just want to stay in bed. And instead you go, I'm going to get up. I think God wants me to do that. And it's going to take his strength, but I'm going to keep plodding away. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep doing what God's telling me to do. When I'm being reviled, I'm going to be loving in return. I'll tell you something. That is powerful, powerful stuff. That is what the kingdom of God is all about. Not fighting back, not fighting fire with fire, not fighting words with words, but saying, I don't want that for me. I just want to do what God tells me to do. And I'm going to respond in a way that's going to surprise people. When we do, not only does God's power become an influence in our lives, but people look at that and go, Christianity really is working for you. This is really, you're different. You're not like what you used to be. You're not like what most people are. I thought I could predict how you were going to react. Boy, does this happen a lot in a marriage where you just, it's like after a few years of marriage, you've pretty much been through every fight that you're going to have. And now it's just change a few of the little details. And I did the wedding that I did yesterday. I told him, you know, basically marriage isn't all that complicated. You're pretty much Every fight you have will have two things in common. First of all, it's always going to be about selfishness. But it's just going to be the dispute as to which of you is being selfish. And then the second thing is, nothing that you fight over will have been worth more than what your relationship is worth. And that seems really simple. But we continue to struggle and fight. And so what do we do? I mean, we're not that creative, so once in a while, we have a great new fight, but usually you can almost, in a marriage after a while, you can almost just number your fights and go, okay, number four. <laughs> yeah, you too. Because <laughs> we've covered it. We've done it. And, you know, right as the words are coming out of your mouth, you know it's stupid. And you know what they're going to say back. You even know what you're going to say back to that. But when we break that chain, when we go, I'm going to surprise you this time, and I'm not going to respond the way I usually do. And they kind of shake their head and go, hmm, that's weird. Now that's power. 
And that's where the Christian life is lived, at that level of saying, I'm going to just do what God says. I'm going to live my life in such a way that it's not going to be all the talk, all the mouth, all the fighting, all the proving myself. I think I'll just let it happen. I'll obey, see what happens. And Paul would say, that's where the power lies. And he would also say to you, why are you living your life in such a way that you know you're going to get beat up? Why not live your life in such a way that that love and gentleness becomes a part of the atmosphere? It's a lot better that way. I think a lot more people would be drawn to Christianity if we would just obey what we preach, if we would just try living life that way. Powerful stuff. Let's pray.